0: their courage will astound you
1: their stories will move you their faith will inspire you
0: welcome to great stories about great saints on relevant radio and the relevant radio app this is Tim Ray. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray during our series here on All Saints Day. I am so excited to unpack two of my favorite saints. I pray daily uh, to them for their intercession before the heavenly throne. Is they're there? They're there in heaven. That's what we're celebrating today on All Saints Day: the presence of those who have walked before us. Ancestors, family members, um, saints, the stories that we hear who are real people who lived and breathed, walked this earth at a time before our own. You've heard today about stories from the saints of this century to centuries many years ago. Today I'm going to be talking about two saints I mentioned who I dearly love and are patrons of mine. That is St. Edith Stein, also known as St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, and St. Alphonsus Liguori, known as one of the moral doctors, moral theologians of the Church. Now, St. Alphonsus Liguori is a saint who... I think there's no other way to put it, gives you a good kick in the pants when you read his writings. Uh, You've heard me talk about him many times before, from his writings and his book Preparation for Death to his... Meditations for Holy Communion um, or sitting before the Blessed Sacrament, the presence of our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity, to his infancy narratives, where he has this whole meditation series specifically outlined for during the seasons of Advent and Christmas. And I remember when I first read them, I thought I was going to go in reading these stories about, uh, you know, Christ and really sweet and precious. And I was pregnant with my first baby girl and, you know, kind of this very sweet feeling about going into christmas no these were so profound and deep that they really helped you to understand the significance in the morbidity of a child who one day would be crucified for our sins But in the beauty and gift of that life at the same time and the celebration of it, uh, it's a good challenge to put your life into perspective during that Advent season. So I won't share too much. St. Alphonsus Liguori will be talking about in just a little bit here on Trending. And Father Tim Grumbach will join me to discuss from the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Now I want to talk about St. Edith Stein, also known as St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. That's a name she took when one day she became... A Catholic nun. Now, it's actually a really fascinating story. St. Edith Stein, um, had a long journey, you know, from growing up, um, culturally and even religiously Jewish to, um, During that time period of the last century, Uh, she lived during World War II and she actually died at Auschwitz. So, we'll talk a little bit about that. So, she was Jewish, grew up in this Jewish family, and eventually uh, went on to receive quite an incredible education, especially for a woman, Um, became a professor. She uh, struggled with what she thought with regard to God, who, you know, who he was in her relationship to him. She was agnostic for many years and one day eventually ends up converting to Catholicism lives, you know, these single years, which I think speak volumes to the uh, challenges many people, especially young people, face today in prolonged single years. She was living her single years from agnosticism as a working professional and converts to Catholicism of all things, much to the dismay of her family. I remember some years ago reading a biography of hers and it was fascinating to see um, the biography was written by um, basically a great grandniece of saint edith stein and it really chronicled much of edith stein's life but also Diving into how difficult it was for her family, who was culturally, uh, religiously Jewish, to have this daughter go from leaving Judaism in the midst of World War II, and just the absolute onslaught that took place um, for the Jewish people, and then that difficulty, and then seeing her convert to Catholicism, it it really spoke volumes to the challenges of uh, really... A 20th century saint, a a challenge that all of us face, uh, and that is how we reconcile being called by our Lord Jesus Christ to live in a new and different way uh, that's sometimes set apart from maybe a family of origin, your family members, your community. I think that it's a really, really uh, good example for us to see that the saints have been there They've journeyed through those, through those challenging moments of reconciling, being called to a new vocation in our Vocation really as baptized Christians and how we will and we may disappoint um, loved ones, family members at times. And what's fascinating with St. Edith Stein, again known as St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross and she became a nun, that's the name she took. um, Her sister, one of her own biological sisters actually eventually ended up converting to Catholicism. Now, St. Edith Stein is a Carmelite uh, nun. Her sister also joined the Carmelites and they were both attained taken uh, to Auschwitz and died at Auschwitz her and her younger sister who was also a religious nun great question question just came through what's the name of the book written um, by one of the granny I think it's called Aunt Edith uh, something like that I know my producer Patrick's going to find that we'll get the name of it and post it on social media and one of the things i love about these two saints i'm discussing today is one saint edith stein and then two saint alphonsus ligori in a little bit uh, saint edith stein and St. Alphonsus Ligori both have a tremendous number of writings. I've read a lot of both of these saints. I have not made it through all of them. In fact, it's a really good Christmas gift if any family members listening. I love any writings by the two of these. My husband last year for christmas uh bought me this full beautiful hardback uh set of the moral theology of saint alphonsus gora totally geeking out i still haven't read it yet uh, but i am excited to get there but i bring that up because one of the things i love about these saints is we'll hear the stories of the saints and their stories are so profound they're so impactful but often at least for me i like to read the meat of what they were thinking the words they wrote to other people, from letters to even you know their treaties and moral theology that they put together. It's a very neat opportunity to dive into the psyche, uh, the development of a person in their own spiritual journey, and also remembering these people are saints, people who lived, yes, they they had sin in their lives, they had challenges, but they also achieved a very high level of perfection here on earth before their death. And to see how God was working in them, we understand in our Catholic moral theology uh, that every good thing that you and I do is not of us, that is of God. The only thing that you and I can do in and of ourselves is sin and It's very eye-opening when you think about that. So you look at St. Andrew Stein, all the good that she's doing, it's a work of the Holy Spirit within her. These things that she's saying, so profound. And three things in particular stand out to me in her life and her story and as you study her. Uh, She speaks, and we're going to walk through some of this in a little bit here. She speaks so poignantly to what she refers to and really develops as the science of the cross and I call the a life science, a life philosophy of understanding. If we want to figure something out, if we want to understand our life, apply the science of the cross. And we'll discuss a little bit more of what that means and finding joy in the midst of the cross that we're all called to. Jesus Christ says, come and follow me. Pick up your crosses. You know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And reconciling those two ideas of suffering and crucifixion and the way of the cross along with the joy that jesus christ himself says in the gospels that he's come so that our joy may be complete how do you reconcile that this is where as catholics the rubber meets the road when we say things such as redemptive suffering you know when you hear that phrase of offer things up when you're having a difficult time in life difficult seasons i remember a dear friend of mine converting some years ago and you know he was a handful of years into maybe about 2 years into his conversion and his wife had not converted yet they're evangelical christians and he said one of the hardest but most uh, life-changing and incredible things that he was working through after his conversion was this concept of offering things up that in the midst of difficulties trials suffering for example for him you know the fact that his wife hadn't converted and it was so difficult for her to see you know or her husband um, who was practicing this catholic faith that they didn't share. Uh, you know, they share their Christianity and that was a huge part of their relationship, their marriage from day one, but then they didn't share, you know, the fullness of the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ and his revelation. You know, even things such as not sharing in, you know, the delight of the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Lady, or sharing in the Eucharist or confession. Uh, but one thing that he was really embodying through that challenge was this idea of suffering. And St. Idris Stein is so helpful in unpacking that so we'll talk about that in a moment she also wrote very very um Deeply, she was a phenomenologist. So, you know, this discovery of the human person through the experience of the person was something very near and dear to her heart. And remembering she died during World War II, so she was really on the scene during that first wave of feminism, during this industrial revolution, during this transition of women working and working in a different way than they had before. And she was there right in the heart of those changes challenges of that tug and pull of what it looked like to be a woman in the 20th century, entering into career and positions and higher levels of education that have never really been achieved uh, to that breadth within um, the context of the feminine sex. And so we'll talk a little bit about her writings with regard to understanding women, understanding a woman's soul. She has a favorite book of mine. I return to it often. It's the Essays on Women, written by St. Edith Stein. The Carmelites have done an incredible job preserving her works, and so we'll talk a little bit about what, what that means, what that looks like to be a woman, and also what she had to say about the education of children, in particular young girls, which is relevant to me because baby girl number two is due and coming in December. Hopefully she waits until then. She's trying to kick things into gear a little soon here so you can keep me in your prayers. Um, but let's talk about St. Idris Stein If you're just joining me, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Happy Feast of All Saints Day. We're talking about the great stories of the many great saints who have walked before us. We'll talk about St. Alphonsus Liguori in just a little bit. But we're talking about St. Edith Stein, also known as St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. As I mentioned earlier, she died during World War II in Auschwitz, along with her biological sister, um, who also became a nun, was also a Carmelite, and she had this massive conversion from growing up culturally and religiously um, Jewish, to being agnostic, being a highly educated educated woman for her age, living those single years, converting to Catholicism, and then becoming eventually a nun who would die um, at the hands of the Nazis. So St. Edith Stein, as I mentioned before, had what is known as this kind of philosophy of the science of the cross. And it's this idea of the love of the cross and understanding the contradiction that indeed Jesus Christ and his cross shows. You know, we expected, the Jews expected at the time of Christ, this political savior, um, this successful person who would save them. And the scandal and the controversy of the cross is that we, and even to this day, have to reconcile that Christ was made perfect in his suffering and that we are made perfect in our suffering through our suffering united to christ now christ is god and and we have to understand his humanity and his divinity jesus christ is perfect but that perfection of jesus christ's sacrifice is what allows us for the gates of the kingdom of heaven to be open for our to be for the human race to be redeemed and for salvation to be made possible for the individual and so saint edith stein in her writings spoke often of this Transformation. Um, we talk in theology about uh, Christosis. Christosis is a word that means we're becoming like Christ. Um, it's this, this transformation. Uh, we know that baptism makes us little Christ, right? Following Christ. We're baptized into Christ. Um, but I think that. It's interesting because as we're talking about this, uh, St. Edith Stein has made comments about growing into that cross that Christ lived uh, and that he ultimately died with. And We know in the Gospel it talks about how if we want to live with Christ, we have to die with Christ, which means we too have to pick up our crosses, he says. So Edith Stein talks about how in growing into the cross, she says, that it is perhaps, she says, a quiet, lifelong martyrdom of which no one has any idea. So St. Edith Stein says that this Christosis, this growing into the cross, is something that takes our entire life. And it's a good reminder as we talk in particular about the saints, because it's easy sometimes to just think or presume. that The saints were these perfect babies who were perfect children and perfect teenagers and then perfect adults and just died in the loving arms of God. But many of these saints uh, had serious moments of outright denial of Christ, um, very sinful lifestyles. And yet we hear in saint edith stein's writings as she's you know this young this woman she talks about how we all are called to grow into that cross and that often it's quiet it's lifelong and it's not just lifelong but that it's a lifelong martyrdom that no one has any idea that we're not sitting here saying hey look how great i am i'm entering into this christosis this cruciform version of myself St. Ederstein actually says, the person zealously striving for God's glory unfailingly evokes a bitter opposition to this plan. Uh, So in other words, we're called to this passionate striving for God and his glory, uh, but there's this balance, right? That we we don't... um, we are living in opposition to what the world calls us to, to comfort, to ease, to all of those ideas. But on the other end of the spectrum, um, we have to make sure that our chasing God in our passion um, doesn't become about ourselves, but it truly is a focus on glorifying God. And so with that, uh, in talking about the way of the cross, St. Edith Stein at one point says that the person who belongs to Christ must experience the whole life of Christ and must someday enter upon the way of the cross to gethsemane and golgotha this statement is probably one statement that could just bring me to tears when i really think about saint Augustine's story knowing that she would die during world war ii in auschwitz of all places along with her sister uh, it shows us that she understood that the wholeness of this christian journey and this christosis and becoming like christ entering into the kingdom of heaven meant that ultimately at the end of the day no matter what happened in your life you were going to have to enter into the way of the cross. And she says, that means taking it all the way, she says, to Gethsemane and Golgotha. In many ways, her life journey, what she said, we were called to as Catholics, to enter and merit the kingdom of heaven, required this journey to place of the crucifixion and that indeed is what she lived in her own way in the 20th century dying in auschwitz along with her sister i mean imagine for her what it was like she and her own sister lived this a level of isolation from the family after having uh, grown up culturally and religiously jewish after she has you know, lived during this German occupation, the Nazis and everything that happened during World War II and the persecution uh, that took place against her people, the Jews, and how in the end, here she is, she, you know, was part of the conversion of her own biological sister who becomes a religious nun, and then she brings her sister along to the point where she dies with her at Auschwitz. Imagine how horrifying that had to be to have that isolation and a little bit of an ostracization from her family who just couldn't understand the Catholic conversion that she and her sister went to, to then seeing her own sister also die at Auschwitz. Um, They lived what she knew through theology and through her philosophy and her inquiries and writing, that this is where her full conversion, her full salvation would enter into. This was the cross that God had in store for her. And St. Edith Stein even said in her writings that the love of the cross in no way contradicts being a joyful child of God. And that's a hard thing to say when we're in the midst of our own trials and suffering. The love of the cross in no way contradicts being a joyful child of God. In other words, embracing your suffering, saying, yes, Lord. And my mom will say, you know, sometimes you you should say, yes, Lord, can I please have more? Which I still am not there yet asking for more. Um, but I'm grateful when there's that opportunity uh, to to offer these things up for loved ones, for family, for intentions. Um, the scary thing is, is that when you ask for more suffering, God really does give it to you. So I always say, I, I'm not ready for that, that particular prayer yet. Um, but the love of the cross in no way, St. Edith Stein says, contradicts being a joyful child of God. There's this dichotomy, as I said before, this controversy that from the very beginning of Christianity has posed a grave challenge that seemingly in the face of the failure of the crucifixion comes about the redemption of the human race and the potential for our individual salvation. That's where we see this balance of the cross. And when I talk about St. Edith Stein's uh, science of the cross, she even goes so far on multiple occasions to use this terminology that I think it's a striking image that you and I are called, she says, to be fastened to the cross with Christ. Fastened to the cross. And that's very morbid when you think about it. Jesus Christ, bloody, bloody bruised, and beaten, is there hanging on the cross. His body is limp eventually in his death, but his body is totally dependent upon the hands, right hand and left hand, struck through the middle with a nail, nailed to the cross, and that his full body weight is pulling down on his hands along with his feet that have been nailed to the cross. In some of the movies of the crucifixion, they show the nails going through those palms and then the nail going through the wood and then the nail going all the way through the back of the wood and then the same with the feet. And he already has a crown of thorns on his head and then he, he's, the cross is lifted up off the ground as the weight slowly begins to bear down on those wounds and those points of security securing him to the cross and the weight is dragging and dragging and i think okay there's jesus christ now i'm supposed to get up there too it literally we are called to be fastened to the cross with christ that means that what we are to enter into this cruciform version of ourselves is going to be different for each and every single one of us As we discussed, St. Edith Stein, the saint we're discussing now, died during World War II at Auschwitz. And she says that we are called to enter into that cruciform version of ourselves just as Christ himself did. This is what it means to enter into the baptism, the kingdom of Christ. She talks about how if we want to be married to the Lamb, This is what we need to allow to happen to ourselves. She said, in order to enter into glory with Christ, we must also be fastened to his cross. What does that look like for you? For her, one day it would eventually look like death, disconnection from her loved one, seeing that she was a part of her own sister. Uh, dying well not that she not that she should blame herself but you know because of her conversion and because of becoming a carmelite her sister did the same thing and dies there at auschwitz this is someone who in her writings saint edith stein uh, really did understand the importance of the soul we live in the 21st century that is so heavily focused on the body And all of us are, I wouldn't say guilty of this, but all of us have that focus. You know, I'm a Pilates trainer. I am a dancer. I love the physicality, the fitness, the kinesthetics of the body, um, the potential, the challenges. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. You know, I'm also a woman. I love, you know, beautiful things, hair, makeup, clothes, all of these things. But we live in a culture where it's so easy to be distracted only by the body and forget that we have a soul. And St. Edith Stein reminds you and I that we have a soul and that that act of the will in conversion that takes place, as she mentioned earlier, and I discussed this, through a quiet lifelong martyrdom, this is what we're called to and this is where we remember we have a soul and this science of the cross draws us into that. St. Edith Stein teaches us and even reminds us, even in our act of loving people, uh, that that is a part of our journey, that through our love of human beings, it's a measure of our love for God. We wouldn't be able to love people if it weren't for the fact that God gave us our bodies with this great gift of the souls that we have. And I mentioned she speaks so profoundly to the differences in the gifts of women in particular my favorite quote of saint edith stein when talking about women especially someone understanding during this first wave of feminism women working and being educated more than ever before reminds us of something so poignant when she said a woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold this appeals to both the biological Reality of the human person and the reality of the soul, the spirit directed and oriented to God. And the two must be reconciled together, united and drawn up into the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, united with him in heaven. And today as we celebrate All Saints Day and saints who have gone before us, living, breathing people who have lived and journeyed like St. Edith Stein, we're reminded that as women in particular and the women gentlemen that you love in your life, That a woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls are made to unfold. And we are called to embrace as women that which Edith Stein says is living, personal, and whole. And that's that beautiful, nurturing dimension of the female soul. All Saints Day means all saints, all day. Incredible journeys of faith, heroic holiness. Welcome back to Great
1: Stories About Great Saints on Relevant Radio.
0: And the Relevant Radio app. you're listening to Trending with Tim Marie here on Relevant Radio I'm going to unpack the incredible life and especially my favorite part the writings of Saint Alphonsus Liguori today on the feast of all saints day in Oh boy, he is a saint, St. Alphonsus Ligori who I remember some years ago I'd asked on social media, kind of doing this poll, have you ever heard of St. Alphonsus Liguori? Because I had never heard of him until I was, I think, in graduate school. And my neighbors next door were this really sweet Catholic couple, and my neighbor, he just said, Do you know anything about St. Alphonse Score? I said, No. And he said, You need to buy this book. It's called Preparation for Death. Your life will be changed. One of, the, I would say, the saint, apart from St. John Paul the Great, who has been probably the most influential in calling me to change, to transformation, to what we are called to as Catholics, and that is the conversion of our souls, the uniformity of our bodies and souls in the act of faith, in the act of worship. Um, St. Alphonsus Ligori has written many things. He has his full workup on his moral theology. He has a favorite Advent companion of mine, which is a meditation each day during the day, during um, the days of the Advent season as well as the Christmas season. Fantastic. All of his works are, are a, a good. I just can't put it any other way. A really good kick in the pants with no BS um and he has also by the way a very beautiful meditation for um uh, before the blessed sacrament we'll post links to some of these books i'm mentioning uh in particular that one i love if you're ever in front of um, the blessed sacrament it's called visits to the blessed sacrament and again it's one of those helpful aids for prayer now saint Alfonso sigori as i mentioned was a moral doctor of the church, and to join me now to discuss St. Alphonsus Ligori is Father Tim Grumbach from Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, where he serves as a chaplain there, also serving and working with many other ministries, especially ministries working with youth, including Net Ministries, uh, Focus Ministries, um, and Life Teen. Father Tim, welcome to Trending to discuss today St. Alphonsus Liguori on this great feast day of All Saints Day.
1: Yeah, it's been really exciting today. Um, Just the, the way circumstances have worked out is that we don't have our gym available for a whole school mass here on campus today. So we've been splitting all the classes up. So I've already done three masses today. I'm supposed to do three masses tomorrow to fit in mass for all of our students. So I've had plenty of time to get to know the saints through the liturgy today. It's actually been, uh, it's been exhausting, but exciting.
0: (laughs) Thank you for taking the time to be with us and celebrate our saints. I know a saint you and I have discovered over the years uh, has been St. Alphonsus Ligori. Let's talk a little bit about his life and how he's been significant significant to you in your journey as well.
1: Yeah, well, he's very much known as a patron saint of confessors as well, because as a moral theologian, he also wrote so beautifully and powerfully and challengingly, I would say as well, about the sacrament of confession. And you'll hear some things about the way that he speaks about confession. Uh, which may sound uh, maybe a a little bit harsher than we would hope for uh, in some ways. But he was a man who who knew confession, but he also knew it from the inside on both sides of his own need for mercy and his own uh, need to show mercy to others. Some of my favorite things that he's written about confession is that, especially in the midst of the Jansenist heresy that he and uh, the church were dealing with at the time, which was focused so much on the, such a, a rigorous scrupulosity that he said that, that the, the penitent uh, is not a sinner to, or, or is not a, a criminal to be punished, but a, a sinner to be embraced and received and healed and forgiven. And so I just love that image of when somebody comes into the confessional, no matter what they've done, that they are to be received with the, the gentlest mercy. At least that's where you're supposed to begin. And then, you know, if they need something a little bit harder, then you can work with that on them. But, the, you know, your first assumption of the sinner sitting down across from you is, you know, identification with them as not in their sin, but as a sinner in need of mercy, as somebody to be embraced. And so it's, it's hard to read some of the difficult things that uh, can be written about confession. But St. Alphonsus is a man who admits that he struggled with scrupulosity himself. So he knows his own need for mercy deeply from the inside.
0: Now It's interesting because if you reconcile one that he struggled with, scrupulosity, um, so overthinking things. Um, he was a man that really focused a lot on penances and uh, rather dark penances. Yet mm. at the same time, we recognize even in the face of perhaps penances that could have gone too far at times or might have been... Uh, become even potentially too much about himself even potentially um Mm -hmm. that through those penances through that clear understanding of what has always stood out to me about his work and that is uh sin death heaven hell um that there's this conversion that all of us are called to and i really appreciate that you started father tim by talking about confession because that's where the rubber meets the road where we are honest with ourselves and seek forgiveness before God, and the graces are given to us, bestowed upon us to pick ourselves back up through the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, to heal and be transformed into Christ, which is what these saints become in their conversions. Mm.
1: Yeah, and uh, the conversion that needs to happen uh, is uh, partly an act of the will. It's something that we choose but he would say also that you know you look and God is the first one moving and our desire for confession, our desire for healing is a response to God's initiative. And so for Saint Alphonsus, he, he has this beautiful little book uh, called Uniformity to God's Will. And it's a quick read. It's only like thirty-three pages or something like this. So it's almost like a little a little pamphlet. But almost every page I'm stopping and I'm going like, Yes, I need to sit with this for like a whole day and Mm -hmm. and and so knowing that the 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 sinner is somebody coming seeking healing um, but that they it's about that relationship that we have with our will compared to God's will and How uh, it's almost considered an act of worship to uh, to unite our will to God's own will and if we put our will ahead of God's will he calls that an act of idolatry and so a, a you know a person who's following their own will independent of God's is, is guilty of a kind of idolatry, he says. Insto- instead of adoring God's will, he is, in a certain sense, he adores his own will. And it's so powerful to understand what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean to say that we have free will, that uh, we bring our will to the sacrament of confession, to the act of worship? It means that we were created freely and we were created to love freely and that means not just to do whatever we want, but to freely unite ourselves to God's own will. And I, maybe it's just something I've been struggling with a ton lately is you know, what I want to do, what I think seems like a good idea, but is this really what God wants? Am I uniting myself to God's will or only to my own? And to struggle with like, he uses language that strong is that when I use my own will uh, uh, in opposition to God's, or even just alongside, but not along with, that it's a form of idolatry because I've idolized my will above God's and that's something to bring to confession. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. It's interesting you bring this up, the importance of the conversion of our wills, the uniformity of our wills to God, because I remember when I first read it a few years ago, uh, the infancy narratives from St. Alphonsus Liguori, and I thought this was going to be just such a sweet, good, strong <laughs> meditation leading up to Christmas. and it was an absolute kick in the pants each and every single day Mm -hmm. from the advent meditations to the christmas meditations for that octave of christmas and part of what saint alphonsus Liguori talks about is how it god by becoming man but by first becoming an infant was truly endearing us to him and to himself and just as you know many people um even though in our brokenness and the anti-child culture we live in, you know, we're endeared to child children. You know, we love children, especially babies. And in Christ and becoming a little baby, um, it's how he helps us in conforming ourselves to him and then going all the way to Golgotha, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Now, in St. Alphonsus Liguori's works, as I mentioned before, um the, my favorite book of his is Preparation for Death. Mm-hmm. And I think the way in which St. Alphonsus Liguori, for me in particular, has really helped I me in understanding that conversion um, and uni- uniting the will of our will to God's above anything else is through facing the reality of death, especially in the 21st century. We live in a culture that is so far removed in many ways from death. Um Many people don't have encounters with it, especially with, you know, the distance of, Mm -hmm. you know, multi-generational familiarity and relationships. And St. Alphonsus of has so many poignant things to say on this, but he says, my brother, if you wish to live well, endeavor to live during the remainder of your life in the presence of death. So in other words, like if you want to live well, if you want to live with your will being in conformity to our Lord, you need to keep the reality, the brutality that all of us will face death, including me, myself, and I right in front of us.
1: Yeah. And you bring up just the culture of death and the relationship that our culture has with death is so often more and more, we want to choose our manner of death. And I I think I just saw that uh, France is looking to adopt very much the same regulations on, uh, assist, uh, uh, um, on, um, on euthanasia as uh, Belgium has, which is wild and out of control. And then um, you know, they're, they're saying, you know, our control over death is the most important sign of our freedom. When uh, St. Alphons- Alphonsus could say, you know, as regard the manner of our death, you know, it, the best kind of death for us is the God, the kind of death that God himself has designed for us. And so he gives this little prayer at the end of uniformity to God's will. You know, oh Lord, only let me save my soul and I leave the manner of my death to thee. And so to even unite our will to God's, not just in the, the acts of charity and our way of life, but even in our death. And that is the ultimate act of freedom is that final act, you know, the one thing that we do by ourselves absolutely and completely in this life is our death and when we leave it that manner of our death over to god's rather than to say i'm i'm going to choose the way that i die i'm going to choose the time that i die then you know even that act of uh, supreme will is an act of idolatry if it is against the way that god has designed for our own death and so saint alphonsus is able to point not just to live in the will of god but even to die in the will of god you know and, and that's jesus dying on the cross turning his death into an act of worship rather than merely an act of historical tragedy.
0: One of the things that St. Alphonsus Liguori talks about with regard to death is also kind of making peace with the fact that we're not going to go out on our own terms. Mm. And I think that's also part of, you know, you mentioned the legalization of physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia happening solely country by country. It's this determination, I think, in a culture where we've turned our backs on God um, where maybe we have no religion, or maybe we are culturally Catholic, but still kind of trying to live according to our own will. Um, St. Alphonse Liguori says that with regard to the manner of our death, that we should esteem that the best kind of death for each of us is actually the way in which God has designed for us to die.
1: Yeah, yeah. and how it's easier to uh, unite our will to God's in moments of prosperity. But how about those moments when we are closer to death, when we're experiencing suffering? Uh, you know, he, he says that even, even in prosperity, even in the, the, when we're strongest in our life, you know, even sinners find it easy to unite themselves to God's will. Like, hey, this must be God's will. This is great. I'm really enjoying this. But that the most profound uniformity to God's will is when that suffering is happening, when one is at the end of their life, when things go wrong, when things are painful to self-love if we can un- unite ourselves to God's will at that moment of death, that is ultimately what all of this is leading up to, so that you know, are our uniting ourselves to God's will in this life and into death, that heaven really then becomes a continuation of the way that we've been living and uniting ourselves to God's will in this world and in this life. And I love that about today's uh, Solemnity of All Saints, is that we're looking at people who started living their heaven here on earth, not perfectly, no one has, uh, except for Jesus and Mary, Uh, But then uh, their, their experience of heaven into eternity, it was almost more so a continuation of what God had begun to do in them on earth.
0: One of the prayers St. Alphonse LaGuardia says when we think of our death that we should be praying, he says, O Lord, only let me save my soul, and I leave the manner of my death to Thee. I think that this is a prayer we need in the 21st century, that we let go of how we will die, that fear of death, and focus on, is my soul prepared to meet my Maker, to meet my Creator, and One of the ways in which we can look to that, I think, is by a true pondering of sin. I know here we are, we're on this major feast day in the Catholic Church celebrating all the saints. The saints we know who have indeed been proclaimed by the church, but the saints who haven't been proclaimed yet are living in heaven with God. We celebrate them today, Uh, but the only way they got there was through a serious reconciliation of themselves before God through the grace of the sacrament of confession in acknowledgment of their own sin. And St. Alphonsus Liguori in his book, Preparation for Death, again, 10 out of 10 recommendation. You could just meditate on one paragraph for hours. Uh, It's truly life-changing. Many people have said that they've been red-pilled by St. Alphonsus Liguori when they've read Preparation for Death. But he says at one point how sin, he says, blinds the understanding and deprives the soul of reason. And when there is question of the body, men speak rationally, but when the soul is concerned, they speak like absolute fools.
1: Yeah, it, it, trying to put our own will ahead of God's—that <laughs> is the the speaking of fools—and and the paradox of the attempt to find some kind of ultimate and extreme autonomy outside of God's will, where you know, right, man becomes the measure. They would say is actually, you know, it's the foolishness that St. Paul would talk about, would write about in uh, his first letter to the Corinthians, that, uh, that uh, the, the wisdom of God <laughs> uh, looks like foolishness to man, but ultimately it's the, the, the man's, man's wisdom is ultimately foolishness uh, before God, so that it's that paradox of what seems wise to us according to the ways of the world is ultimately foolishness that St. Alphonsus would be talking about
0: and what i love about the saints is that they don't just show us by their witness their stories but they also help often in their writings to tell us how can we get there too what did they do to work their way toward union and conformity to christ's will and ultimately a union with him in heaven and again it comes through this pondering this challenge of reconciling ourselves to our sin and confessing that uh saint alphonsus Liguori, father tim at one point says with regard to sin that a bad habit by degree destroys even the remorse of conscience. To the habitual sinner, the most enormous sin appears as nothing. So in other words, when we start with a bad habit that just continues to grow, uh, our conscience is damaged. We don't necessarily think of it as that big of a deal, that bad, that not as a sin. We justify it in that to the habitual sinner, he says the most enormous sin literally appears as if nothing. I think we live at a time where we have reached this point where we don't um we don't even recognize when something is wrong anymore but because it's become such a habit and often from a very young age
1: yeah and then you could say like i was saying that he, for the saints heaven is what was is continuing what was started on earth then you know for the sinner that is you know finds himself in hell then hell is a continuation of what they've begun to experience and what they've begun to choose in their mm-hmm. false autonomy uh, their uh, absolute autonomy and freedom from God's will, so they thought. Um, and then he points out that you know the greatest punishment for the sinner in hell is what they've lost, and that makes me think of also Saint Teresa of Avila uh, said that she had this vision of hell as well, and just the, the the terrible punishment of it. And she has this this enigmatic, very fascinating, intriguing line where she says, "I've never been afraid of the pains of hell. What I'm most afraid of." is the wrath and the sadness and the disappointment I would see in the eyes of my gentle and loving savior. And so all these great mystics and great saints point to, yes, there, there's a, a terrible thing awaiting souls that find themselves in hell, but it is what they've lost is greater than what they are experiencing in their torment and in their punishment. And you know that's not meant merely to be like hellfire and brimstone, right? Love God in order to avoid hell. Right, that's that's a start. That's you know, mm-hmm. you know, even Saint Alphonsus would say that scrupulosity was a beginning. Right, it's a, it's a place for people to begin sometimes, but it is something that must be moved uh, upon. And so that you're not reconciling merely because you're afraid of hell, as important as that is, but you're reconciling because God is good. God deserves to be loved because of who He is, not because of what He does, or bu- or because of the punishment that c- He can meet out on us because of our. You know, deserve because of deserving it because of our sinfulness, but that God desires reconciliation far more than He desires punishment.
0: Mm. So, tell me where you see in Saint Alphonsus Liguori, from his life to the many writings he had, um, this kind of turning point from the scrupulosity uh, toward just that that union, that peace, that joy. That is what we're all looking forward to. When we ponder the saints in the heaven, you know, getting through the difficulty uh, to embrace the joy of the gospel of Christ.
1: Yeah, I, I was kind of laughing a little bit reading up on his story is that he was a very successful lawyer as a, as a young man. And you know, at a very young age was you know, winning his, his degrees and then his, his cases. And I think it was about the age of 27 was when he lost his first case. And he said, that's it for me. I, I, there's got to be more in this life than the accomplishments and the successes and the victories. And it was almost like, you know, oh, it's just one case, you know, you, know you, can, you can come back from this, you can move on from this. But God used that defeat to, uh, to really do something in his heart that was just the beginning. And so you can almost get the sense of like, he, went, he wanted to be separated from the things of this world uh, because of a hatred of that defeat, because of a hatred of what the world offers. But it was through many years of fighting that scrupulosity, but I would say he was formed as a penitent by being a confessor. You know, mm. uh, they say that uh, a lot of the times the, the best uh, confessors are, make, are, are good penitents, but we learn so much about how to be good penitents as confessors <laughs> from the, the sins that be, people bring in their humility and the, in their courage to the confessional. So I, I got to wonder if you know, he started his really, his deepest part of his faith journey uh, at, at 27, after this disillusionment, like he was not gonna be victorious in all things. And he grew this disdain for the world, but eventually he had to grow, grow past this sense of disdain for the world into love of God. And I wonder if that scrupulosity grew out of that uh, disdain for the world But eventually he came to this place where like i'm going to love god even in the suffering i'm going to love god even as death is approaching and it's less about being afraid of the punishment that awaits me as a sinner and more about welcoming the sinner into the embrace of the church and Mm -hmm. by years and years and decades of embracing sinners back into the bosom of the church i wonder if that is what changed his heart the most because i can tell you it's what changes my heart the most is that I can feel like I have all the right answers about things and I know so many arguments and details and teachings. But when I sit down in the confessional and sinners come running back to the church, I'm like, this is where all of that begins to make sense. Like, I don't look for inspiration in my homilies in the confessional, but the confessional and the mercy I encounter there by being able to offer that mercy confirms what I'm preparing all week long for a Sunday homily. So I I think it would have been the same for St. Alphonsus that the confessional shaped his heart, even though it had begun years before losing that court case as a very successful lawyer.
0: Well, isn't that part of what today's all about? You know, we're celebrating the Feast Day of All Saints Day, and again, I think people often consider the saints to be so distant, you know, they must have been the perfect child, the perfect teenager, the perfect this, that's not the reality, what we're talking about is the ongoing conversion of sinners into eventual saints by the grace of God, and saints who even when they were striving after god often with you know their own idea of what they had to do could get in the way of his mercy at times and there was this need for total abandonment to his will and the love and mercy of jesus christ
1: yeah and that's why i love that today we have the gospel of the beatitudes and that's even an option for tomorrow for the uh, celebration of all souls is that you know the original hearers of the Beatitudes would be like Jesus? I think you've got it backwards. Those do not sound like the blessed people to us, and Jesus is saying no. Uh, the blessed are those who look like me and live like me. And you know, it's, Pope Benedict says that the Beatitudes are the interior spiritual biography of Jesus. So if you want to look like Jesus, you're gonna start living like the Beatitudes. But the Beatitudes are so easy to memorize, and you know, with students here, I'm like. Memorize your Beatitudes, they're going to be on the test. And, but I want to say also, like, but that's the safe way to encounter the Beatitudes. Just memorize them, leave them on the page, write them down. Once you start living them, then they become dangerous. And that's what I love about the saints, is that they're, the, the saints, are. You know, if you leave them in the history books, if they're just statues and stained glass windows, they're safe. And they're up in heaven, and they're away from all the dangers of this world. But the prayers in the church today, in Mass tell us that they have a concern for us on earth still, and we pray for an awareness of that concern and a deeper love and a friendship with the saints who are not safe, but very much real and alive, maybe more alive than we are.
0: Well, and to ponder just for a moment, you know, blessed are the merciful, those who mourn, the persecuted, the peacemakers. Um, Taking that to heart, that this is what the saints eventually embodied in their lives by the time they died, and All of us are called to a different death. All of us are called to different crosses. Um, But all of us are called in the midst of that to this conformity to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a gift. And I think that when we can see that that's a gift, things begin to transform in our lives from the crosses we bear to everything, every good gift that comes from God.
1: Yeah, the saints are our friends. And what do friends want but to be with each other? And it's so beautiful to see the saints were where we are now, and they want us to be where they are now. And that's what friends do. And Jesus said, if you want to be my friend, you're going to live like the Beatitudes.
0: Happy Feast Day of All Saints Day. If you haven't made it to Mass, it's not too late. You can find a church near you. That's actually where I'm headed next. That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Relevant Radio. You're listening to Trending with Tim Timmery. Happy All Saints Day. Please pray for me. We'll pray for the intercession of St. Alphonsus Liguori and St. Edith Stein today on the Feast of All Saints Day.
1: All you holy men and women, pray for us.